This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Ron Baim from the Hunting Dog Podcast. Ron has a new project he's working on called Behind the Dog. It digs into the individual hunting dog breeds and breeders in North America. We'll get a glimpse into Ron's new project and hopefully pull a few nuggets out that may help you understand hunting dog talents, traits, purposes, and what's really going on inside the minds of our favorite four-legged hunting friends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system in all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. I hope all of you are enjoying summer, the heat, time with your loved ones, whomever that may be, even if it's your dogs. I just want to let you know that all of our new episodes are ready to air. A new season of the Flush will be launching next week on the Outdoor Channel. We're obviously a little bit biased, but we think it's one of our best seasons yet. From now through the end of December, you can catch a new episode of The Flush airing on the Outdoor Channel. Here are the airtimes this season. Mondays at 9.30 a.m., Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m., Fridays at 3.30 p.m., Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m., and Sunday mornings at 6.30 a.m. All of those times are Eastern. And of course, if you have the Outdoor Channel, I'm thinking you can probably DVR an episode, at least I'm hoping. And to answer the question for people that do not have the Outdoor Channel, yes, you'll be able to stream our episodes in their entirety, but you cannot do so until the entire season runs its course on the Outdoor Channel. That means January 1st, the first week of January, our new episodes will start going onto our YouTube channel. Also, a few people may or may not know, but Rooster Tales is another television show that I host and that we produce, another Upland bird hunting show. That airs on the Sportsman Channel and on Bally Sports Networks across the Midwest region. Two different TV shows to hopefully scratch the itch a little bit for us bird hunters while we wait for another season to begin. I also have another announcement to make. I believe, I'm almost certain, that next week, we're going to be announcing 
Hank Hunt number three for this coming season. If you've listened to this podcast the last couple of years, then you already know what the Hank Hunt is, but it's a bird hunt that Scott Franzen started three years ago to celebrate his dog, Hank. Hank passed away way, way, way too early, and instead of mourning the loss, he wanted to celebrate Hank and other bird dogs. He opened up the hunt, invited you, our viewers, our listeners, to join us to be a part of the celebration at a hunting lodge in South Dakota. We hunted for He hunted for wild pheasants and filmed the episode for The Flush. It went over pretty darn well, so we did it a second year. And it sold out in, I believe, just a couple of hours after the podcast airs. I'm telling you this because if we launch Hank Hunt number three next week, there's a chance that it could sell out very, very quickly. All of the details will be delivered next week. But I hope that you, um, if you're interested in this, that you are listening and you're able to jump on it really quickly before the spots fill up. I'm going to be there this year, I believe, hosting the hunt. And we are not going to be hunting in a place that you would expect. I'll give you those two little nuggets and leave you hopefully wanting a little bit more. Now, our guest today needs no introduction, Mr. Ron Bame. Ron? From the Hunting Dog Podcast. The last time I introduced you like that, you flopped miserably on our Flush Podcast live show, the trivia show. Have you gotten over that no. unbelievable defeat? No, I have not. I have <laughs> not. I don't like that game. I don't like the thought process that went into it. <laughs> I felt like I was back in seventh grade and I knew I was going to math summer school again. Have you I, taken counseling or any anything support groups to get over it? Because no, it wasn't I, pretty. I just, it just a little more alcohol, a little more, a few more beers at night, and I can go to sleep. I can go hmm. to sleep. It's okay. You that can was, call. We can talk through it anytime. The okay. best thing is to talk through it. Okay, you got to talk through those troubled times. Don't, don't just sit there and drink beer by myself. I should call Travis. Mm-hmm. Speaking <laughs> oh, of boy. that, it's it's afternoon your time. What do you got on on the the kennel table right now in front of you? A night a sixteen ounce diet coke because what? Um, yeah, well, I just took some uh, anti inflammatories this morning. I had a shot in my butt, <laughs> and uh, it's recommended that you don't mix alcohol with uh, uh, anti inflammatories for your liver. So, yes, did part I do of have- you did part of you wonder what might happen if you tried? Part of me want, part of me wondered what's the point in getting my wrist fixed. <laughs> happen well my goodness heal up uh what's what's the cigar of choice oh i've got a little backwoods honeyberry i'm not smoking a big cigar right now uh just my little my little daily ones they they take about 15 20 minutes and they're just just kind of fun to have in my hand so sure um, about six it's about six years ago i remember driving across lake uh michigan and you're like you know this i think is my last my last one. I'm going to quit this now. <laughs> you still spreading those false rumors? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I quit. I quit a lot. I, I, I quit a lot, but I, I realized that I'm not truly a quitter. And then I, yeah. I get back on the saddle. I get back on the wagon. Good for you. Uh, Nobody likes for me, a quitter. For me, not smoking is like falling off the wagon. And then when I get back on the wagon, I can light up a cigar. Mm-hmm. What's new in your world in the Hunting Dog Podcast? 
Oh, well, other than, you know, celebrating uh, dogs and people and conservation, all the stuff we love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really pl- pleased when you texted me a couple weeks ago. Um, been working on a project for about a, a little over a year. And uh, it's called Behind the Dog Films. And we, I, I, don't, I know you don't start television shows this way, Travis, but uh, my editor from the Upland Institute that we created three years ago, he wanted to do more dog content. Just like, what can we do? What can we do? So I can't make a television show. I can't compete with the flush, you know. Um, I don't have the resources to fly all over and camp all over. And we started like, what can we do? And, and I don't think anybody's done this before. We, a lot of people have said, how come you don't film your podcast like a Joe Rogan podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have probably toyed with the idea of filming it sure. when you have a, yep. a guest in the studio. But mm-hmm. there's, you know, unless you're going to watch it on YouTube, it's just two talking heads. And sure, you get the camera. Travis is talking. Ron's talking. Tra- but, and you get a little of the, jo- the, the jovialness of it when we're laughing. Mm-hmm. But there's never been like if you and I last time we talked and we kind of recapped our hunt on on Beaver Island and the Archipelago Islands around there. Yeah. Imagine if somebody watched us recorded in your studio, but Brandon seemed in a whole lot of B-roll from the island. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it's not a television show. It's like a podcast, but you get to watch what the heck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like when you shot that one bird and it, and it, it it was so big. Now, granted, we showed that on the show a little bit, but we seventy five show... pound grouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they now turned into trophy birds thanks to you, <laughs> Travis. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I only shoot trophies, but keep going. Right. But so, if we had the approach to that, the shot, the like mm-hmm. an extended version of what you showed on the show. Yeah. But like all of us standing around and then cutting up and then somebody saying, no, I don't, I don't even think it's a grouse. It might be a young Turkey, you know? So, so we, big. It looked like a Turkey, not right. a Jake either, a Tom. Right. It, it had mm-hmm. a beard. It was a bearded <laughs> grouse. But so we wanted to kind of do like a, a video podcast that had a, uh, or I'm sorry, a, an audio podcast that had a whole lot of video overlay. Um, so when you're, when the guest I have on, you, you, you want to see what, who the guest is, you do want to see how they chat and talk, but Mm -hmm. we, we cut back and forth to a hunt we were on or working with their dogs in the kennel or running with their dogs in the field. Or in in this one's in this first episode we did, it features a, a really great breeder from Michigan, uh, legacy, legacy K kennels. And, uh, this woman's been breeding German short hairs for over 20 years, does both show and hunts a lot. Her and her husband hunt all over the Dakotas, Western United States. And they, to me, it's like, I wanted to bring to the forefront, like, what is a good breeder? Cause you know, you, you filter the emails all the time, Travis, I'm getting yeah. my first dog. Yep. Who do I get it from? Yep. So we're not trying to tell people who to get it from. We're kind of trying to teach them, how to get it. So we ask those breeders questions like, what's your vetting process? What's your, what's your, your list? What's your waiting list? Like, I don't mean just like, Oh, 13 months, you know, the, 
the process that good breeders go through, even picking what they're going to use next for their next line, how they separate the pups and the litter. And you've talked about it with breeders on the, on the podcast and so have I, but mm-hmm. you get a video version of this. Mm-hmm. Well, it, so you got my mind just like spinning right now about this, mm-hmm. this like talking over the video. Could you imagine if like we were able to just take, and I mean, I don't know if people would listen to it or watch it or whatever, but like, let's say, you know, you saw how we did it when we go out there, we've got multiple days and the camera's rolling. I come back and I've got like, I don't know, 10 hours of footage. Like if we just let it play and then you and I, you and I sat back and then watched it on the monitor that people could watch it with us. And then we'd be like Troy Aikman and Joe Buck announcing over the top of it. What's what we're seeing, what's happening, what they did wrong. Oh, Ron missed again. He lost his dog. What, he what, lost what, his dog. It's gone. <laughs> his collar isn't working. The GPS, you know what I mean? Like we could have yeah. so much fun. I wonder if people would watch that. I, you know, I bet you if you could cut it down from 10 hours to one, they would. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Um, oh, man. But, so, yeah, it's kind of like you just kind of reverse engineered what we did. We wanted to do the podcast about something where you already have the something. And you just have that that uh, color commentary. I think that's a. I think that's the next new wave, Travis. You would you be Troy Aikman or would you be Joe Buck? I I I don't know. I know one of them's a football player. I, <laughs> you need to so, you need to get out more, Rod. I, I do. I am the guy who couldn't tell you who played in the last World Series. Okay, I is just, is uh, Troy Aikman or Joe Buck the football player? Troy Aikman. Good job, Ron. Maybe uh, I need to do that kind of a trivia question for you next time. Well, if yeah, if you didn't have to put, yeah, th- let's stay away from that trivia game. <laughs> okay, that, right. like, that was all just right. painful. Painful. Well, everyone else seemed to get along just fine. <laughs> yeah, they got some of the answers right. <laughs> some of them. Uh, anyway, okay. So you're walking along on this on this video series, and you're kind of talking through it. But what's fascinating to me and the reason that I wanted to have this conversation with you is because I'm really, I, you know, there's so many breeds out there and I'm talking to a lot of people just like you are Mm -hmm. and new dog owners, dog, dog owners that have had, you know, 10 different dogs, whatever it might be. And, you know, like getting in the mind of the dog is one thing, but getting into the mind of the dog owner is another thing and what they see in their breeds and, Right. Everyone's breed, everyone's breed is the best. We all know that. I'm not trying to put dog breeds down. I even though I think I sometimes maybe backhandedly am doing that. I'm not sure. Um, but like I'm just fascinated by the dogs themselves and what's going on inside of their bodies and what they're doing, what makes some dogs perform in different ways. And so right. you know, that's that's intriguing to me. And I have to imagine that's intriguing to you. Yeah, especially, you know, judging dogs in the field for over 20 years. You know, I'll see sometimes at a test actual litter mates running together, right? Because within mm-hmm. in the system, a lot of times what happens, a person buys a pup, and it could be any number of any, – basically any pointing dog in the country would fit into this bill. And the breeder wants to get the data back on their litter, right? Well, the, you know, you know, the dogs are sold all over the country. 
Yep. Um, you lose touch with the breeder. Sometimes you do stay in touch with the breeder. But so these tests format, especially in what's called the natural ability test or the puppy test, that gives feedback to the breeder when he reads that later on. He goes, oh, look, three of my dogs tested, two of them tested over in Michigan. And I've been that judge that's watched litter mates run and gone like, how could two, let's just say two brothers be so different, right? Yeah. And yep. one so one so good at this and one so good at that, one so terrible on a leash, one, one already acts like an adult dog on a leash. And then you wonder, is it the owner? Is it the breeder? And we aren't trying to solve that question with behind the dog, but I think we bring those questions to light. Mm -hmm. That's and a good question because I, I was just up in the boundary waters for the last week with a buddy and he's got an 11 or 10 month old puppy, something like that, or maybe nine month old. I don't know. Either way, he's got a puppy and his dad has a puppy out of the same litter and they both are completely different. And, you know, talking with Sonny Picars, um, you know, who's watched these dogs and, and helped them work with this, with their dogs. And he's like, this dog has it. It has the it that right. I think a lot of, a lot of those high end dog trainers look at and say, he would be on the elite pack. He goes, this other dog is going to be good. He's going to be a great hunting dog. Right. There might be a day when things click, but right now. This right. one has it. I can let this dog go. And within seconds, he's standing on point 450 yards away, staring at a bird and will not right. flinch like that. That is instinctive. And those two dogs have, have been in different homes for the last six months, but, or five months, but there's something different about them. Is it the homes? Right. Like, I mean, can you, can you dial that down, Ron? You know, I think that has a lot to do with it when it comes to just uh, that overall puppy behavior. Let's say, let's say you and I had litter mates, and then we got back together this November, and yours is jumping on the furniture and mine sitting nicely. That's probably just, you know, nurture, like how you raise the dog and how I. Of course, in my case, it would be my dog climbing on the furniture, and you're well, maybe not. <laughs> but no, no, but, no, no. Mine is a. She's a perfect proper lady she does not jump on furniture she waits right. at the door for me to release her she right. definitely is not the one that jumps up at all i know what you're talking about though i know yeah. we have a few of them let's just say in our office here that are right. those dogs yep so so when you get when you get to judge the puppies i i there's like two versions up i see how they are you know just around the tailgate i see how they are at lunchtime you know and and you and you can see the personalities of the people there's people who they're like always kind of fussing about them. And then there's that person who's almost so relaxed that the dog's relaxed and they look like a team already. And, and that's probably just the way they were raised. But then when we get to watch their, their search, their pointing, their tracking, their water entry, that's where we get to see what they inherited from their parents. And, and you'd like to think that like, well, if somebody was had a breeding program and they had eight puppies why wouldn't all eight of them be the same? They're yeah. all similar, but they're never all the same. And, and we make a point of that in this, in this video series we're doing, or we, we will keep that thread. Mm -hmm. um, breeders will, will always see a dog that's, let's just say it for the common thing, a little shyer as a puppy, not the first one out of the whelping box. 
not the first one to devour the the puppy mash. You know, some of them take a couple of days to they're like, where's mom? Where's mom? I don't want this stuff, you know. So mm-hmm. I think their their inherited skills are I think they should be pretty close. Like if you buy a pointing dog from a pointing dog breeder, I'd like to think that all eight of those puppies should point. Now, the duration of how long they point and, and how long it takes it to turn on, I think those things are always variables. But it'd be like buying a Labrador and finding out that it doesn't, oh, yeah, well, this line doesn't swim. You know? It's like. <laughs> right. Or retrieve. Like, or retrieve. Right. It's the name is Labrador from the Labrador region. Retriever. Thus, this, and you know, there are some Labradors that are not great retrievers and there's some labradors i hunted with one in fact I, I bumped into the owner just recently and we joked about his dog that would jump around a mud puddle you know <laughs> so, but so what we're what we're hoping to do uh, and, and we're going to get into a lot of different things because everything we do like in our lives is behind the dog we're we're behind them hunting we're we're the door well they should be behind us at the door but mm-hmm. everything we kind of do is behind the dog and we just want to bring to light, like, for in the first few of them, what these breeders go through because that's who, that's who we're getting them from. It it takes a lot to be a good breeder and have a breeding program, and the health testing and the disappointments that come along with that. And um, and we just want to bring those people to light. We're not, you know, the 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 people that I'll be interviewing throughout the year that are breeding dogs. These people have a waiting list. They, they don't need more customers. I just want them for, I want people to take away from what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like the first one we did was on German short hair breeder. But if you could just redact the words German short hair, every time we said it, it would be German wire hair. It would be poodle pointer. It's, it's about what, what good breeders do and how they do it, how customers are. We even get a little bit into customer behavior, <laughs> you know, like don't sure. be that, don't be that person. Right. And here's one silly takeaway. The last thing a reputable breeder wants you to say is how much are these dogs? And it's not, well, why wouldn't a person? It's a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. And if your leadoff question is how much do these dogs cost, you're you you might not get on the list. Sure. Right. Well, okay. So I'm at, it's, it's behind the dog films. That's the name of it. Uh, And this is what it says here behind the dog films. I'm looking at on your site right now. Join Ron Bame of the hunting dog podcast as he introduces you to individual hunting dog breeds and breeders in North America. Behind the dog films is a focused look at the breeds, talents, traits, and the people that foster the breeds purpose An educational and entertaining series, bringing in depth light, to man's best friend. So that's that's basically a summary of what what the films will be. Um, right. But but I think it's interesting to break each one of them down. And I think that's you know like I don't know. I mean, how many how long have you been around dogs, Ron? Well, my first one, I, I would say I've owned bird dogs for thirty five years. I've been around them for forty five years, but. By the time I was, you know, old enough with a home and all that stuff was 35 years ago. My my oldest hunting license, I still have it in a photo album, is from 1972. Hmm. So I, I've got a little data, you know. Sure. I've got a, well, I've got some, and and 
and and I know Sonny said this, Justin said this, trainer, the one of the biggest differences the dogs are now is dogs are family people. Right. And people, family people. They're not, that's a thing. They're not people though, Ron. Right. But people think they're people. (laughs) I know they're not people. Well, okay. So the reason I asked how long you've been around dogs is because yes, there's, I wanted to say, what is the, you've kind of answered one of it being that people think that dogs are now people are part of the family, but like the, just like the trends that you've seen in hunting dogs you know, like, I, I mean, over the last few years, you could say whether it's a, a wire hair or maybe the setter has become trendy. I feel like the last year I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, it's the year of the, the setter. Got to get a setter. It's the right. Instagram dog right now. So what is it? What what have the transitions or the trends been that you've witnessed in your dog career? I would say if, if there was a trend, it would be going for something that's esoteric. You know, I'm amazed at how many, like, literally, because any dog that's a pointing dog falls into the versatile category. Now, you're not going to find, a. there's a few of them, and there's some damn good, uh, we're going to say English pointers, so someone doesn't think I'm just generalizing all pointers, which mm-hmm. is what we call them now. Yep. But there was a, a very well-known uh, fella in Minnesota, Joe Delacy, and he ran his his pointers in all the all the water tests, the invitational tests. I mean, his dogs could do it all. And it was a dog that nobody would buy if they were trying to do a verse that, you know, you'd stick with the German short hair, the German wire hair, the poodle point. So the transition I've seen is the, um, just the, the dozens and literally dozens of breeds that I, I can remember a test like, Oh, we have a Picardi Spaniel today. We have a, a wire haired Weimaraner. I never, we have a black poodle pointer. We have a, a shtickelhaar. I thought they were extinct, you know? So the, the trend I would say is I think people are looking for, and I don't know why they're looking for it. And it could be breed descriptions in sporting magazines, or it could be podcasters like you and me <laughs> interviewing these people. Mm-hmm. But I think people have this like, wow, I want to try that because everybody else has a German short hair. I mean, obviously it's the most up until what was that dog that just knocked it out of the running. It was the, the number one registered pointing dog in the country. I, I know the lab got mm-hmm. kicked out too, but yeah. you know, you could, you could find a German short hair and you, I don't think you'd have to go out of your County in most States of the union. Sure. And, and I've rarely ever seen one that didn't hunt. Now there are some, but I've mm-hmm. seen some that don't listen. I've seen some that have <laughs> zero cooperation. I've seen some that are I wouldn't want to own, but it's like the trend to go into something like that there's very little information about and committing to buying a bird dog from a breeder who's probably only on their, let's just, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but fifth or sixth litter of dogs, but you're willing to take that chance because you know, I, I, I've never heard of that dog and mm-hmm. I like the look of it. And I was guilty of that, Travis, when I got my first Bracco, you know, now I didn't do that because I read it in a magazine. I did it because a friend of mine got one. I got it. I, through all my travels, I managed to get that dog transported to him. It happened to be, I would say temporarily gun shy. And this dog ended up being my neighbor's dog across the woods from me. 
And when I saw what a clown it was, <laughs> I, that was that was my pick. I'm right? like, yeah. Now, now that's we not fit a together. You're my kind of guy, right? I'm like, well, what's better, a dog that's a clown and a, and a, a dog owner that's a clown, right? Yeah. Huh. And uh, so that was, you know, not that is certainly not a trend. People aren't looking for clownish dogs, but I was willing to take a chance. I have so many good connections in the dog world. Travis, I would never even have to be on a waiting list. And I'm just saying that. Sure. Yep. <clears throat> I could probably call five dozen breeders in this country today, and they would bump me up to the top of the list just because I've known them for years. And mm-hmm. they know I would do the dog testing with it or whatever they want me to do. Sure. Um, but I went off that deep end and went to an esoteric breed. And no regrets, but, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of fun poked at them over the years. But I... I'm very self-deprecating. You know that, right? Very I, much so. And that's what makes you fun. That's why I put you on stage and we had a good time. You know, yeah. somebody had to be the butt of the jokes. Somebody, but, yes, somebody had to be the fall guy for the trivia. Totally, game. totally. I, but like you said, no regrets at all. I mean, really? No, no, no regrets at all. I Okay. I My motto, I don't know who said this years ago, but I'll pull my pants down and slide on the ice any opportunity I have. <laughs> We'll film yeah. it on our next on our next flush hunt, um, <laughs> right. but there are people that regret their dogs, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. happens all the time, yes. all the time, you know. And it's probably because they don't know what they're getting into, they don't right. know the dog's traits, they don't understand the dog's purpose or drive. They can't provide that kind of of uh, purpose for a dog, and so like I I don't know if you remember this one, maybe over a year ago, but. Second Chance Bird Dogs is the name of yeah. a guy in, I think he's Michigan, right? No, you're right. Him and I are friends. I had him on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating how he can't keep up with all the people trying to turn in their, their bird dogs. And yeah, it's basically, because they think- it's like a year-old bird dog rescue company. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it just shows you. And he's like, oh, I, I could, I could you know, hire out however many people and we could just all do this together every day, all day and try to rehome these dogs because there's that yeah. much demand for them, which that's where I, you know, it gets to like people, they might be nervous. They might say, I want to try this, or I've seen that dog, but ultimately there's, there's not, um, and maybe there is Ron, but do you feel like there's a place that people can go to just be like, okay, I'm considering a German wire hair. I need to know everything about this dog. Click on online, German wire hair. You get a bunch of information about dog. But do you really understand what that breed is made up of? Is that out there? Does it exist? Well, no. I, I don't believe it does. I mean, you could read some good books on it. I, I remember a book I read, and it was, it was I think it was published in the 50s. And it was, it was when I got my first German short hair. I remember that for some reason, believe this, I got a terrible memory. I think the author's name was C B D Maxwell, like the letter C and the name B D Maxwell. And I read that book cover to cover over and over. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is the dog I want. This, he was also describing a dog that was born in 1950. (laughs) So, you know, but I always remembered when I saw the dogs that I loved of that breed I was like, that's the ones that Maxwell was talking about. This, and and that's where I think this transcends all breeds. 
and you know, somebody might write a little hate mail to you for having me on to say this. Um, I think we've done a disservice in this country and it's the breeders, but it's from a lack. It's from the competition side of things. And they, it, the, the cooperation of, of, is a, is a natural trait that is inherited by a dog from its parents and its grandparents and every 500 years or hundred years, however long the breed's been around. And that cooperation is the stuff that the dog does for you on its own. It comes back to you. It, it listens. It, it's not obnoxious. It's, it's balanced with the amount of desire it has. So you got this dog that's hard charging, but like so easy going. And, and that was my first German short hair. It's like, I, I didn't do anything but take this dog for walks. I didn't even bother to try to do a gun intro with this dog. I just took it hunting. And like everybody knew that dog said, oh, it was the best dog you ever had. And honestly, I know it's impossible, but that should be more people's experiences than less these, these days. And it's not. And that's where you went with, you know, Mike's second chance bird dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, it is probably the people did not do enough research. They didn't realize that this was going to be more work than they thought. But I'll guarantee you those dogs that are coming back to people are intimidating those owners because their desire level isn't matched with their, I'm going to say brain matter, their cooperation, their teamwork. It's not level. And you can get past that with training. But then you have to be somewhat of a pro trainer. Sure. If you get that dog that's super ramped up, you love him, but you're like, come on, buddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just give, give me a break here for a minute. Right. And just so, chill out. But the dog it, doesn't know anything else. That's the, dog the problem. No chill out. And yeah. That's and we how many times have you heard the word off switch, Travis, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that that can be fostered and nurtured and molded. But then that takes, and, and that's something we did, we filmed in Behind the Dog. And, and the people that responded to this said, Ron, you know, it's, it's $4.99. And everyone was like, well, why isn't it free? I said, well, because, Travis, tell me what editing costs per hour, right? It's, <laughs> so, it's like $2.99, $2.99 an hour, roughly. An hour for an editor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that help, Travis. <laughs> And, and Brandon, your engineer, he works for what a dollar ninety nine an hour, seventy five cents, seventy five cents an per hour, <laughs> and I am roughly forty two like cents. I think I'm forty two cents, and then with taxes and whatnot, it comes out to like fifty cents an hour. That yeah, costs. but you get paid three sixty five. So no, I know I get paid forty two cents. Yeah. Right. Every hour of every, so it, it works out the minimum wage. It's kind so. of sort of like that. Yeah. But so we tried to come up with like. What would some what would somebody pay to learn something instead of just getting free content? And some of it's edited okay, some of it's not, some of it's but it's not like this is as professionally filmed. And I will say, um, as one of your episodes, or if people are a lot of people are familiar with the series we did on training, uh, the Upland Institute, it's like completely professionally edited and in the sounds there and mixed and but we still wanted to make we didn't care if it didn't cost a lot as long as we got the the word out and people got value from it and look forward to the next episode 
Because mm-hmm. so here's a takeaway on this episode that everybody that's it's some I spoke to in person, in fact, this last weekend uh, when I was judging that I would have paid a hundred dollars just if I knew the last 15 minutes of that, we, we went out into her kennel and we started with a, <clears throat> basically a full grown German short hair. <clears throat> and we talked about the withers and the hocks and the feet and the head and the muzzle and, and it's confirmation minded, but there's a reason these dogs had a breed standard for a hundred years. You don't want one with a sway back. You don't want one that's cow hocked in the back legs. You don't want one that has a very small chest. You don't want one with a chest that's deeper than the knees. You don't want one with a, a short neck because it's, it affects every, it affects their gait. It affects how they can hunt. And then we take it down to a, a 12 week old pup. Then we take it to an eight week old pup. And then we took it to a four week old pup. And when you see this four-week-old pup standing there like a pointing dog, from what this woman does, her early, her early, what you and I would call, or Sonny Picars would call, the calming touch, the, mm-hmm. the settling down of the dog, to think a little four-week-old pup could stand there with its tail up and its head up at attention, it, it's just, it's mind-boggling. It's so cool when you see that kind of thing, which is why yeah. I think your video side of it really helps you grasp what you're talking about, which good for you guys for coming up with this idea to, to like talk through what you're seeing in a mm-hmm. way that's, you know, long you format. We're talking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause I honestly, I think, you know, <clears throat> if we, if we would play back an hour, like you mentioned of our hunt together, we could talk through so much of what we were experiencing, right. what we're going through our minds, you know, what we yeah. were seeing, why we went the way we did and that kind of thing. But like when it comes to a puppy, that's a scary part. You're sitting at a breeder. You're on, you're, you've got the call. One of these yeah. puppies are yours. Yeah. What do you do here? You know, like you're on, you got pick six. Who are you taking here? You know, like a fantasy football draft. You get, you're stuck right. with this one. You don't get to try it and give it back. Like that's what people get nervous about. So can oh. you, can they take anything about what they see from this four week old pup that will translate to life? Yeah. Now that is certainly going to depend on your proximity to the breeder and will the breeder let you come in when they're four weeks old or six weeks old and, or does your breeder even subscribe to this? Now, not every breeder we're going to interview is going to do just what this woman did. But when people watch that, they're, they're going to like, what they're going to be amazed at is how moldable and, and you know, this now from owning a dog and knowing what molding is, how moldable they are at this four weeks before they'd ever even go to a home that the things you can do with these pups and it, and having a pup stand on a stable on a table so you can groom him or stroke him or move his feet like they do in a show ring is all about impulse control, which is all about what you were, you had two episodes on recently about the, you know, there's, you don't want the dog. To, there's no reason for a dog to bark in a truck if you've molded this dog not to bark in the truck. Mm-hmm. You know, now are some breeds a little more to it? Yeah, but those breeds could probably use early impulse control way more than a Bracco puppy. You know, Bracco puppy at 12 weeks is still tripping on his ears. He, 
At 12 would, years, they're still tripping on their ears, right? Let's be honest. Again. It goes back again, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. It, well, really, they peak out at six. <laughs> so that's why it's important to break down individual breeds like you're doing, right? To really help right. people understand. Because some breeds will learn quicker than others. Is that true? I, and, and, I be, and I believe personally, this is the Ron Bain philosophy, those breeds that can learn that learn quicker and blossom earlier need that impulse control sooner mm-hmm. because it's like that teenage boy. You know, if you tried to teach me in the playground where we, you know, we had, a, we had a 10 o'clock recess and a lunch. Oh boy. Recess, oh boy. Here we go. I could imagine Mrs. Coughlin trying to teach me science while I was running around on the monkey bars in a swing set, <laughs> probably shirt off. Shorts are flying in the air. Not, not acceptable, Ronnie. Get over well, here. Yeah. And how would she have taught me unless she sat me in a chair and said, no, you are going to listen to me now. And then to talk about the differences in dogs and people and kids, there are those kids that they're like, oh, recess is over. All right, let's sit down. Oh, we're going to learn something. So dogs, I, I hate it when everyone says all dogs are different. They're all the same, but they just have idiosyncrasies that are different. And I think a lot of that can be just totally f- not fixed, but totally molded earlier if the person knew what to do. And hopefully throughout the series, we're going to show people that. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. And now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous. And you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. 
Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Okay, so so we've got a German short here. Let's break this down because this is a start of a of a series that you're going to continue to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just launched the first episode. Now, I'll admit, I have been out of cell service and internet service for quite a while now. Uh, the last couple of weeks of podcasts that people have listened to, I had to record before I left town, uh, which means I also haven't been able to watch your first episode yet with the German Short Air Pointer. So I'm just like some of the listeners that haven't watched this yet. Teach me something. Mm-hmm. What What do I learn? What am I going to see that's tangible in the German short-haired pointer? I think, well, if, like I said, this episode is not going to highlight the breed. You're, you're, you're going to see good examples of what the breed does and, and what it looks like. But you, you're going to learn more about the breeding process, the okay. how the breeders breed, how they do health testing, what they look for in their own dogs when they're keeping a dog from their own litter. Um, how they build a network of like-minded breeders. It it's almost like a it's almost like a fraternity. When you know, let's just say a good, let's just say, well, because we're on German short hair subject. Um, Nancy Beth, who's the 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 breeder and the owner of the kennel, she has a network of other people. It turns out I know five of these people. They all talk amongst themselves. They have no problem recommending. A customer like, well, they don't have, I, we don't have a dog available for the next year, but I happen to know that my friend Lisa, we, we basically breed very similar dogs, very similar lines. They almost become their own breeders alliance in a, in a I don't want to say clandestine way. Mm-hmm. They don't advertise it because there are breeders alliances like with the Poodle Pointers. There's a Wire Hair Alliance. I believe there's a couple other ones where like-minded breeders kind of set some goals for themselves and in breeding standards, but these good breeders, they're, they don't live in a vacuum. They, they, they'll all know a handful of other ones that they could literally say, Hey, I want to breed to Bruno next month. Okay. No problem. Like they have their network and, and this isn't going to break you into the network, but it's going to, it's going to show you the depth of what conscientious breeders do and how they do it. Um, and, and what's the goal there then for the, what's the takeaway for people I, I that watch it? Travis, I, well, Oh, the, the goal of the breeders, I'm sorry. The goal of the breeders for me and what I take away from it is consistency, selling a quality product to a person that doesn't end up coming back home or going to Mike Mapes. Sure. That's, that's should be every breeder's goal. Um, but I think that's what people will learn from this. And like I said, if it, if you're buying your first dog and you've set your sights on, let's say, uh, let's pick a little, let's pick one, let's pick one that we don't see a lot. Um, pick a breed that you haven't seen a lot of, Travis, in the pointing dog world. Oh, uh, mm. let's take like a Gordon setter. Okay, g- good, good example. A lot of setters out there. Not a Uh lot of Gordons. Uh If you were going to buy your first Gordon setter, you should watch this episode because 
it's more about how to buy a dog, how to talk to a breeder, how to have the conversation. And then it does give you some insights on what to look for as pups, what questions to ask. Like, do, you know, how many times have you heard the word in the last, let's just say, three years of torn ACL in a dog? Mm-hmm. Yes. How many times have you heard it, right? I, more than it, I can count, yeah. And it's and it's heartbreaking, right? It's mm-hmm. It's the repair process, the healing process, and then what happens, the other one goes. Well, yeah. Well, and then, the, I mean, ultimately, if we're being honest, the cost associated with that repair. Oh, yeah. My daughter just had a lab done, and luckily they were smart enough to buy pet insurance. Um, most people don't have pet insurance, but the the reason the ACLs go, they my vet had said it's definitely genetic, but it's genetic built on com- – it's just like bad teeth in a dog, bad bite, bad molars, missing molars, missing teeth. That's – that's still a structural component, but it's genetic. Like a, a, a good breeder is never going to um, breed a dog that doesn't have a perfect scissors bite, especially the female, because that's the, that's the scissors action that helps her deliver those puppies. Without that scissors bite, it's, it's a mess. So the ACL is part of the conformation of the dog. The, the angulation of the dog's legs is part of the conformation. Proper angulation of the legs is going to ensure that you've got the joints lined up right. So you're not prone to those problems. And it's, I was just talking with a wire hair breeder um, out in uh, Pennsylvania this week, last, last weekend I was out judging and I asked him on, and I know the guy, Kyle is really, really great guy. He's had German wire hairs for a long time. Um, I'll even give him a shout, a shout out Schwartz, Schwartzwald, uh, black forest short Schwartzwald. And, uh, I asked him if he's had any ACL problems and he says, no, nah, I've, I've never had an ACL problem, but he also did a lot of testing organizations where they look at confirmation. There are some hunt tests out there <clears throat> like the, the Drotar club and the Kurtzar club, which are the German parent clubs of the short hairs and the wire hairs. Mm-hmm your dog is also looked at by a confirmation judge before they give you the AOK to breed. So why are all the breeders now? And I, I take that back hundred percent. Why are the breeders that are not concerned about that? They're only concerned about how many dogs, or how many birds or dog can find in an hour, but they don't look at the build of the dog. Um, on an episode we did that's, that'll be released in July or possibly 1st of August, is a Weimaraner breeder who's been around the, the Wyme since she was born in 1952. She has, and we have pictures of her with a Weimaraner when she's a toddler. This woman's, and she's seen the ups and the downs of them, right? Mm-hmm. And she was also a horse person. And she said, I can tell by looking at a horse if it's post-legged and the same with a dog. I can tell if they got, so there was good breeders back in the day that could just look at the dog and say, no, this, 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 you don't breed this. It's got a, it's got a structural problem. It's not going to make, it's not going to be able to withstand the, 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 the workload and the same thing in horses. But now, and again, we, we don't hold ourselves to that confirmation standard. I'm sure. some people do for sure. Some people do. Mm-hmm. And my hat's off to the breeders that do. And I don't mean you have to run around the ring and like I've done with my Broncos, you know, but that is where 
you will learn about confirmation in a dog. Now they pose them up to make them look good. And there, there's a reason why they set their feet up and you see them moving like at Westminster, you see the, they hold a little treat up and they move their back legs. They want to accentuate the look of the dog. Mm-hmm. But if you have a dog that's not built right, you cannot stack that dog up and make it look good. It, do you it, think, it, oh, sorry to jump in, but do but, you think like the average dog owner, the average hunter cares that uh, cares enough about it to do the research? I don't think they know enough to care enough, Travis. Hmm. I don't think they know enough. I think they like to, the common thing is like, well, you know, I, let's just say I don't have the best back. (laughs) My legs aren't that good either. You know, they're like, so maybe we fit together and they don't really, but then ultimately, you know, their lack of, or their ignorance maybe, or the not wanting to do that research. Ignorance is a good word. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it comes, it comes back though, down the road, years down the road. Right, Do you know, right. um, you know, I've heard a few people say this and I don't know if there's truth to it. You might know this, but are mixed breeds, uh, generally healthier because they don't carry some of the purebred, uh, tendencies or like they can, you know, like some of those like an ACL issue that might appear later on right, in life, right. you know, does, does that, you know, I've heard multiple people tell me this, like your dog might be better long yes. term well, because you and I she's going to be the, you and I are the test candidates, Travis, <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I know you had an ups over there. Right, right. I have a wire haired visual Abraco and you have a German <laughs> short hair setter. Poinsettia. Yes. And what is your, what's the nickname people- for yours? Uh, bravolas, <laughs> but, oh. and, uh, and, and there's so few of them out there, <laughs> but you know, like point. in, uh, in the Rudolph red nosed reindeer Christmas classic, the Island of misfit toys, we would yeah, be, there we go. you and I would fit. But to your question, I mean, I can't tell you how many, and, and it was actually two, two of the people that will be on this, this series, both of them used the term genetic vigor. When it came to a complete outcross of two different breeds, because explain that. You, can you explain that to the best of my high school education? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. the The genes that dogs develop, right? If let's say it's a carrier gene for, let's say it's a disease, there's a lot of dogs that can carry a a gene, but if or a chromosome that if the other dog doesn't, they will show positive in a test for whatever it is, but they're, they're a carrier for it, but it doesn't impede them. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't give them, I, I don't know what the one is for kidneys. I, I, I've read about it, but if the dog had this gene and said, yeah, it, it's going to have amyloidosis, right? It's got the gene that shows it, but it may never develop, but it's a carrier for that gene. So when you've got all this purebred lineage, you're getting everything in the package. You're certainly getting more of it in the last couple of generations, but you could be bringing in a carrier one generation removed. And I don't know how good, you know, the, the genetic testing is or, or would it start throwing up a warning flag says quit breeding, breed in another dog. Because you know, as I would think as well as I do in Europe, when they were making these breeds and most of these breeds are just over a hundred years old and a lot of them younger, 
um, they were always putting in, you know, the poodle pointer is a famous one. They put pointer into it. You know, the, the German short hair was a combination of four different dogs. The drought hair is a combination of the short hair, the schickle hair, the griffin, and the um, poodle pointer. So they started with a lot of genetic vigor. So you and I might be very lucky in the structure part of things for that alone. But had the descendants of my dogs, both sides had tendencies to have bad ACLs, I'm sure both of our pups would have that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm telling you, all the years, like I said, I my 35 years of owning them and being around them for 45 years, I never heard the word ACL until, I don't know, I'm just going to say 15 years ago. Maybe 20. I feel like it's common. Like it's so many people it's I know. So it's common. almost like it's not if it's just when. Right. And and that right. to me is kind of scary, to be honest. That's how I feel about it. I think it's a little bit scary. And yeah. you want to try to avoid that. But also, yeah, uh, you mentioned something about, you know, how they made these breeds, Ron. Mm-hmm. Is it if somebody, you know, like if if I wanted to make a point set a breed yeah. and then keep that going, like what? Is that even a possibility? Do people, are people mixing and matching, trying to create the next awesome dog breed? I don't want to say they are, but for, I mean, the most recent one that I know of is the wire-haired Vigila. That, from what I, from what I've read, and I don't want anybody to Google me, um, is about only, only about 60 years old. So in other words, when I was born in 1957, there were no wire-haired Vigilas. And in Hungary, they took the Vigila and they wanted a better coat because you, you've been around Vigilas. You know, they could get cold, mm-hmm. at, you know, if you had the air conditioning on in a car, right? Some mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are not known for great under coverage under their chest and belly for the abrasion of grasses. And, you know, where you hunt could be a big deal. You might have to wear a vest all their life or they're just going to be cut up. So they took the Dratar and they bred it to the uh, the Vigila. Thus, they got the wire-haired Vigila. And the one I have is a coat that you can't put your hair, Your if you had a comb in your back pocket, you couldn't put it through this dog's coat. It is incredibly dense and incredibly wiry. Um, so protection-wise, you know, for the dog's physical skin protection, they knocked it out of the park. And that one's only 60 years old. But I don't know that anybody's doing it with, um, I mean, other than the the poodle versions, which you mean the pet market world. Those people are. The, the Labradoodle, that's a perfect example of purposeful breeding of Labradors and poodles or Cockers and poodles or, ter- you know, that's that's something that the pet world is is knocking it out of the park, Travis, you know. So um, is a hunting dog world just behind the times then? Let's not say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but if the, everyone but, wants something that's better, right? Well, I don't know. You know. To your point, who knows? That may not be the most ridiculous statement either one of us said in this last hour. Yeah. Um, well, it's just, a, you know, I'm just right. thinking out loud, basically. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what what do you have coming up, Ron, that you're excited about in some of these films that people can look forward to? Uh, you know, for me, Trav, it's always just meeting more people. Now, truth be told, now I I did not know um, Nancy Beth, this breed, this German short hair breeder, 
we met through an email. So like getting to meet that person is, is like going on a hunting trip and getting to meet a new, you, you know how many times you've met people, Trav, and yeah. you're like, you're, you become friends, right? Yep. Yep. And for sure. so what I look forward to is these, a lot of my listeners now are writing me saying, Ron, I bought my dog from this person that this person would be a great person to do an episode on XYZ breed. And I said, thank you. I'll look them up if they've got the experience. I, I'm only going to interview people that I feel nobody could break down and go, oh, that's not a good breeder. Oh, they've only been doing it. They're on their third litter. I, I don't need the breeder that's been doing it for 50 years. But if I can find it in every breed, it'll be the breeder that all other breeders go, you know who you should talk to? That guy or that girl. And I will tell you one thing. The suggestions I get, it's way more women than men, Travis. Way more women than men. Why do you think that is? It's, I, I think it's just got to be the, a, a maternal instinct, I think. It's, they, I can tell you so many people, and I could name names. There's no need to. It's not because I'm trying to protect the, the people I'm talking about, but- the breeders and, and NAVDA people I've met over the years, every time, and I know a, a, a lot of women in this, in this industry, they are like every one of them. I've heard them say when my dog's whelping the, when she's whelping, I'm in the room with that dog all night long. Just, I, it's gotta be, I've, I've never done that. I've walked back and forth into the whelping room in my kennel and said, Oh, yep. There's another one. <laughs> And then I go back and then I put a ring camera in there and I'm like, oh, look, there's two more. Two more. I'll be damned. I, mean, I didn't even know she was pregnant. Most, <laughs> I'm not even going to say most. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 90% of the women I talk to, and you know some of them too, that when their dog's having a litter of puppies, they are, they are right there. Yeah, right there. They right are there. right there. Mm -hmm. And, and I think with that comes the, maybe overdone i shouldn't say that word overdone the above and beyond health testing that some breeders do um they're checking for you know there's a, a company called embark that you can send your dog's dna in and you can do a lot of, you can get a lot of these markers and you can find out if your dog's a carrier of something or if, if it's not a good breeding there's also breed mate which which uh measures the coefficiency of the breeding meaning enough generations in between but yet close enough to be consistent i i'm that's a real uh that, that's coefficiency for idiots um version but it the co it's the coefficiency of breeding to help breeders stay on path with the right dogs because you don't want these numbers to vary you know you don't you don't want you don't want to just throw out to a dog that's got no blood relation to your dog but then you also don't want the one that's, you know, a half brother, three generations back in a row. So, um, and I think the women do a better job of it, period. I mean, I know when it came to raising my kids, I don't know about yours, Travis. I met your wife and kids. I'm giving it, I'm giving the credit to your wife. A thousand percent. Yeah. 10,000 percent. Yeah. Yeah. But and we are a team. We are yeah, a team. Exactly. I get a little bit of, a little bit of credit in there. Yeah. I, right. you know, sometimes you hear people say too, like, well, it's the, He's down in the lineage of, you know, Timberdoodle master hunter from, you know, grand champion, right. da, da, da. And then, but like 
are those traits still there from that master dog that won that scored the highest on that test 70 right. years ago and is now right. you know passed down like I, I don't know i mean how long do those do those genes those traits those those habits i mean just everything that comes with the dog how long does that stay in that purebred well, I think it stays in forever, and the ones that have been at it the longest, I mean, the perfect example of it is, is um, Bob Whaley, right? Um, the best book that was ever written if you're getting into hunting dogs. Um, it's called Wing and Shot by Bob Whaley. His, his, his kennel was his last name spelled backwards, L. Hugh Kennels. Everybody in the pointing world's heard of L. Hugh Kennels. His process, he was a geneticist. He raised cattle before that. I think he even raised foxes um, for fur. And his process, if he if he could have lived 200 years, you'd have got you'd have got the same dog basically from him for a hundred years because he was paying attention to that with his breeding. So to answer your question, I think it it can stay in there forever. Because look at the instincts have stayed in there forever. The pointing instinct stayed in there, right? Mm -hmm. But the behavior instinct, cooperation, has not stayed in there. The desire balance, you know, because of the field trial worlds, they want a dog that will run like Daisy the first day you had her, right? <laughs> they, no, they, well, that's no, they don't. Trust for. me, you don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> that. <laughs> but they want that. Yeah. Right. And they're mm -hmm. like, I can work with that dog because I need a dog that runs at the speed of light at 300 yards because that's the game I play. Well, those genes, those genetics are in there and somebody gets, let's say, a, a field trial washout and he becomes a good foot hunter. And then he breeds it to somebody who has another foot hunter. And then then that one guy says, you know, I think I'm going to like like and not that this is how Ben's philosophy, Ben Brennington. He got himself a pointer from a line that he knew would perform to the, to the competition he wanted to do. But a lot of people will breed to a high-titled uh, trialing dog to their foot hunting lines. And if you're really careful, that can really give you some, some higher desire without losing your balance. But if you're not, you got... You've got you've got more run than you've got anything else in that case, you know, or or more uh, less impulse control, more whining, you know, more. Uh, I mean, why is it some dogs <laughs> I've never understood this and I've had like 50 50 split. Why do some dogs just love to tear stuff up and tear up their buckets and tear up their blankets and <laughs> and, and other dogs wouldn't even think of it. Right. You know, uh -huh. Like you met Bravo, that yeah. dog, the only thing he would tear up if I th left a rubber regular dummy, a regular two and a half inch retrieving dummy in the backyard, he would gnaw the end of it off where the strings tied on. I, I don't know why. Yeah. And well, almost every dog loves to do that. Yeah. It's, it's but, interesting. I mean, you, I, I think we could probably talk for days on individual dogs. You could break every one of them down and people would say, yep, I've got this dog that's done this. And you know, their own, their own individual stories. And, and it is fascinating to really get inside of those. Um, gosh, you know, we've been talking for about an hour already. So I, I think we should try to wrap this up if we can, but like, I, I'm just curious, you know, of people that, <clears throat> you know, you've been, tr you've been judging 
dogs and watching yeah. different dogs all these years, Ron. Are there any specific breeds that just continuously stand out to you for their performance in the hunting side of things? Yeah, I mean, the ones we've talked about, or the one I talked about the most, uh, the German short hair and the German wire hair. And I'm going to, I'm giving that credit back to the, the German parent clubs in some, de- to some degree, because they were so meticulous and, and this would take another hour and I know we don't have it, Trav, but mm-hmm. in those systems, when you bring your dogs in front of the judges, you're just given a score, all right? They just say, this is worth five points. Your nose is worth two points. You got a score of, let's say 70 points on your puppy. Okay. This fall, you're going to test that dog. You got a score of 180 points. I'm just making numbers up. But if you want to keep this dog line registered with the, in this case, let's say the Varen Deutsch Dratar Group North America, VDD GNA, you will now have that dog looked at by a confirmation judge and they have a breed warden in the club. That, dog, that man has to see your dog and make sure it's, tall enough, built enough, the teeth are good, the tail sets right, the coat's right. And if he's and if he finds a flaw in that dog, on your papers, it's stamped, do not breed. <laughs> it's, what happens it's, if they do? Well, they can't re- they can't be registered as as that okay. dog. They okay. they now you could take it outside. You've got a three-generation pedigree. You could go to the AKC, you could go to NAVDA, you could go to the UKC. And they will register your dog. And now you will have an AKC registered German wire hair. But he was washed out of the Drothar Club. Hmm. And that, and again, this has only existed in a couple of those clubs. But to your to answer your question, I've seen the most consistent, good performances. I've seen them all over the board, believe me, and I'm terrible sure. performances, but consistent good performances on German short hairs and German wire hairs. And, and they are, and they are two totally different dogs, even though the short hair was one of the foundations of the wire hair. Um, but it it just, there's, you know, we could go on for weeks about that, but yeah, it, that's the breed that, um, like I'm kind of, when I go to a test, I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to do good. Just period. Mm -hmm. You know, probably going to do good. Do you think that, is reflective of the terrain and the places at which you're testing those dogs? No, no, they, you, especially in a puppy test, it doesn't, it, the terrain is going to have nothing to do with it. You're, okay. you're, you're, you're really seeing what's in the DNA and what's in the genes in that dog. Okay. You could, and you know, if someone's masking something, you, you'll know real quick if someone's, you know, using the whistle too much or trying to steady their dog up. Like, or, or, or asking you a question, Hey, when my dog goes on point, can I, can I say, whoa? I said, no, once he's on point, we've already seen what we need. Well, I, I don't want him to chase. Okay. Well, we're going to let him chase anyway. We want to see, <laughs> we, we do. We, the first bird contact needs to be raw. Okay. It, it, it doesn't matter if that puppy points for five seconds or our entire walk to go catch up with the puppy could be a minute. Let's say we want to see what happens when that bird flies and that puppy, does that puppy chase it down, bring it back? Does it chase it down, lose it, not come back? And ideally most of them will chase that bird. You expect them to, they'll lose it. 
and they come back and start hunting with you. It might take a minute, you know, um, or it's a pet and raised bird and they grab it. And here's this puppy just bring like with no retrieving training, bringing this bird back to its owner and bring literally bringing it to their feet or their hand. And that's all, that's all natural, you know? Um, and, and I've seen that consistently in, in those two breeds and many, I've seen it just not as consistent in the other breeds. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, uh, German short hair pointer is the first video. What are, let's just say, what are your next two that you're launching and when are they going up? Well, the next one is going to be not on a breed, but it's going to be on water introduction because that is something I firmly believe from all my years of judging dogs. Um, water to a dog should just be another terrain. It should not be an obstacle or a barrier. And in some of the organizations that test dogs, they want to show this dog, you know, some people might call it water love, water entry, whatever you want to call it. The dog should have no problem entering water, swimming a little bit, coming back out and doing it again, any more than it should have wanting to go into another bird field. It should be just as genetically, we want to see a dog that's the terrain of water is not a barrier. And, but that does not, that's something that usually comes with maturity sometimes. So especially in the testing world, we get dogs that don't do well in this department and they're like, ah, the parents swam, the parents were all these, you know, all these numbers and titles, but this dog is young and it hasn't figured out that water is just as cool as land. So mm-hmm. we did a video about a young, a young man who I know here in Michigan and the journey we had getting his dog ready for the water entry. And then later on, doing some duck hunting with this dog, um, doing some testing with the dog. So that's the second one that's going to come out. The third one's going to be with a Weimaraner breeder. So hopefully end of June for the water work, end of July for the Weimaraner. And then hopefully, um, this is a clandestine shout out to your last guest and my guest from three weeks ago, Mr. Miller over there in Mm -hmm. Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, I'm going to send him a, a copy to watch, and I did talk to him a little bit about it, but I think him and his wife would be a great example of a team of, bre- you know, a family teamwork of breeders who pay attention to all these things, mm-hmm. and I think they would make a great episode, so hopefully I can they can find time and we can communicate, or maybe Josh is listening to this when he's mowing the grass, um, <laughs> that he'll call me up and say, yes, Ron, bring the cameras over. We want to do this. Yeah, um, I, you'll but, you'll see Whitney in there, like you mentioned with with the in the whelping and exactly you know, hands exactly. on with the, with those puppies for sure. I think that would be a really interesting one to do for our fourth one, um, and then beyond that, I'm they're just lining up. And be honest with you, Trav, the the you know we have to we don't we're not charging a lot four dollars and ninety nine cents, so we have to make it up in numbers just to afford to go and do the next one. We're not trying to. I'm already retired. I've, I've, I'm set, but we we have to pay for the process. So mm-hmm. uh, we we hope people enjoy it. We hope people get addicted to it, and and can't wait to see the next one come out because they're they're anyone you watch, they're going to be a little entertaining, and they're going to be a lot educational. And Love your early question on was is there anything out there like this? I don't think there is. Um, there's a great book 
by a, a, a great author by the name of Craig Koshik. Um, he did the Pointing Dog book about eight, nine years ago, and I interviewed him on my first year of the podcast. That is the most comprehensive book on all the pointing breeds, and that's almost what I'd like to emulate with this series behind the dog films. Like, what do the best of the best do with the breed? There. That's a clean wrap-up. How, how about that, Trav? Look at you. I don't have anything else to add to that. I know. We'll, I know. we'll leave it right there. So, Behind the Dog, that's the name of the, the video series. The yep. Dog Film. Behindthedogfilm.com. Okay. And if you want to hear more about it, I'm assuming you're talking pretty regularly on your Hunting Dog podcast. Yep. Uh, yep. But uh, either one of those locations will get you there. Yep. Um, and there, there'll be Instagram, you know, there's Instagram posts where, where, but you know, it's a, it's a thing like I have a, I have a platform, but my platform, in, nor is your platform going to reach everybody in the dog world. So I, right. that's why I really appreciate your, you know, you, you seeing that, that first video, uh, you know, commercial we did and, and saying, you want to come on and talk about it? Cause God, yes. I, I, <laughs> I would love to say if I had a legacy <laughs> trap in the dog oh, world, boy. Oh, somebody boy. would say like, you know what? Ron's right. We, we, every, it's Father Flame. Oh, you wouldn't know this movie. You wouldn't know Men of Boys Town or Boys Town, would you? If I wasn't alive back then. No, you weren't. Well, to anybody who's ever watched old black and white movies with Spencer Tracy and Mickey Rooney, when there was a foster home in Nebraska, it was called Boys Town, it's still there to this day. And Father Flanagan's words were, there's no such thing as a bad boy. He just had a bad start. <laughs> and I would like people to just learn more about how to get their next dog, what to look for, ask the questions. Um, again, these are not, I'm not doing these because these breeders that I'm going to be interviewing and have interviewed, you're, you're going to, you're going to be on a long waiting list. If you call them after watching this, you you don't think you're going to get right in there, but mm -hmm. those same breeders exist all over the country. And so learning what to ask and what to look for and what kind of customer to be th that's worth you know that's worth 499 that's actually worth 499 dollars but <laughs> look today, at you you, you put a, you wrap this up you put a pretty bow on it yep. and then here yep. we are we're still going again I know, I know. <laughs> all right trav i love you brandon i love you too i know you're listening in as the producer and uh oh. thanks for having me on i i hope you heal up Oh, by the, end of, by the end of the day, text me tonight. Let me know how you're feeling. Everyone I listening, will. text Ron and let him know. How, ask him how he's feeling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week with a big announcement, I believe. Hope you'll tune in to the next Flush podcast. <laughs>